How is everybody doing? And welcome back for another Strength Chat episode. Today, I have got a very special guest for you. Today, I'm joined by a combat sports specialist and the owner of the Strength Box in Leeds. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Ree Silver. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. What an intro. I think that's the best intro I've ever had, to be fair. <laughs> I, al- I always say this, that I feel like if I wasn't a coach, I would love mm. to be a commentator or something like that. So if there's anyone listening that's hiring, I'll- I'm quite happy to give it, quite happy to, quite happy to give it a go. Um, <laughs> but how are you? What's been happening in your world? What, what have you been up to? Um, yeah, really good. Really good. We're sort of just catching up off there. It's been, well, I guess, like everyone has it. Last 18 months has been absolutely crazy. Um, just surviving for the first part of COVID, I guess, adapting. Um, and then since then, just sort of rebuilding, getting back to it. Um, you mentioned owner of the Strength Box. I managed to open up my own little studio as well, which has been really good. Um, and just kind of building, setting up back end of this year, ready for a big 2022, hopefully. Yeah. And, and especially, you know, opening, especially with everything that's going on with COVID, you know, opening it, opening a gym straight after that period. From, from what I've seen, and, you know, um, I know you've spoken with uh, Matt Cook. I've, work, I've worked with Matt. I know, I know you've mm. spoken with him as well. Um, in terms of, it looks as though the strength box and your coaching has just gone from strength to strength in really, mm. you know, for a lot of people has been quite quite difficult. Have, have you felt that? or? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those things where that was kind of my end goal. Not end goal, but one of my goals to get my own studio. And it, COVID just sped it up, really. Um, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in taking risks you know you're never going to find the right time to really do things um so when I kind of realized things were getting back to normal and the government said professional athletes could could even flow things I'm a little bit and it was just kind of taking an opportunity where there was spots that were now available because businesses were closing and that sort of thing so it was just taking more of a calculated risk and and as you said like it was a, well as I said it was a little bit quicker than I planned but it's been the best decision I've ever done it's just allowed me to take my my coaching and take my service up to a new level um I've got one of my best friends who works with me doing his coaching here as well so in terms just like the work life balance and enjoyment and happiness that's gone up a notch as well really good buzz around here um yeah it's just taking everything on to a new level which is great it means we can progress and kind of start ticking off mini goals again and then trying to get where we want to be oh cool and i think the thing that you said there is you know take a risk because i know sometimes people will be like oh what if it doesn't what if it doesn't pay off well actually what if it does pay off and then all of a sudden everything that you've said there it's like yeah actually you know what everything's pretty good um yeah i I always, I always think that though, it's like people are scared to take risks just in case of it doesn't work, but it's like, what's the worst that could happen? Like for me, I don't really mind if worst case scenario happens. Like when I opened it, it's like, you know what, if it all goes completely wrong and I have to go back and rent a space at Graft House or Pure, I have no qualms in doing that. My ego is not big enough to, to make me not want to do that. So, and that is a big help. Like I don't really fear the consequences of it i'm more than happy to hold my hands up and say you know what wasn't quite good enough to make a gym work for myself i'll go back to renting that's just what works for me so i think when you get that mindset of not really worrying what people think you makes taking those risks a little bit easier as well yeah definitely i think it's just a case of you focus on what on what you on what you want to do you know and it's okay it's a little bit like similar you know speaking to clients it's okay to make mistakes because then you can learn from it and be like right okay if it comes again you know, I'll be able to, I'll be able to do it this way or that way. Um, 
Obviously, I did a little bit of an introduction there, uh, but for everyone listening who might not know your background, how you got into coaching um, combat athletes, you know, and and your coaching Mm -hmm. career, if you like, do you just want to give a little bit of a background Mm -hmm. to yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, as you said, owner of the Strength Box, which is a sort of new gym we opened up in in April. Myself, I run that, um, but I recently got one of my best friends to come over. He deals with more basketball players and does a little bit of gem pop as well. So we run this together. Um, but that was about six months ago. Before that, I kind of worked backwards and ended up at the start. Before that, I was at uh, Graft House. I was there for about two years, just renting a space there. I initially moved over there when I decided I wanted to do just purely combat athletes. It's always been my biggest passion. It's always been something that I've been involved in myself from pure gym to graft house. That was the aim of it. It was like going somewhere that was better, better facilities, somewhere I could really attack combat athletes. Before that, I was at a pure gym, um, just sort of doing the usual PT stuff. It was a um, risk-free option when you first sort of qualified because you can do classes and not have to pay rent. And it's easy to lead gem because you've got a massive pool of clients there. So basically just built up my experience of coaching, um, meeting new people, trialing out systems, volunteering with boxing clubs and had one or two fighters that I was working with for free to kind of try and find my style, what works with it and, and build it up from a marketing standpoint as well with Instagram and that sort of stuff. Um, but I guess my sort of coaching career started like, way back before I was even qualified. I think it's something I've always done. For anyone who knows me, they know that I'm only five foot five, so I'm really small. So having to get strong and quick and stuff was my own sports has always been a major, major thing. So I played football growing up and everyone was bigger than me. And like in the academies, it was during the time when the big, strong players were like trendy. So for little old me, I had to find ways to kind of uh, get my strength up, get my speed up and and keep myself improving. So that's where I first got into it. I'd watch YouTube videos, read articles, all the usual stuff. Um, I started boxing myself a little bit. And then just kind of snowballed from there, really. I, I got really interested in it, started doing classes at the boxing gym, not really having a clue what I was doing, to be honest. When I look back at some of the sessions, they were probably terrible, like more sort of CrossFit circuit base, and probably would never do anything like that now, but it's all learning. So, yeah, just snowballed from there. Obviously, went to Pure Gym, then to Graft House, and here we are now sort of at the back end working with MMA fighters, boxers of all levels, from amateurs to the pros. Oh, cool. I know one question that I always like to ask as well, I know obviously I sent over some topics in mind, but obviously being interested in football and then, you know, uh, getting involved in in sort of the combat sports, boxing side of things. I always like to ask, as well as, a, you know, a, a coach yourself, who are your biggest influences? Because obviously, like, with anything, I always like to ask this because I'm like, oh, well, I wonder who, I wonder who they listen to or learning from there. Yeah. Like what you said, it's all learning and sometimes... You hear of, of people that you've, you know, maybe not uh, have heard of before and you see the stuff that they put out there and it's like, all oh, right, okay, I can understand where, where it's going from. So who have been kind of your biggest influences on your coaching style and, and, yeah. and philosophies? Yeah, do you know what? It's funny. A lot of my influences aren't from other strength coaches. They're more from like people that I've been around and that's kind of like taking more like personality traits and and ways to act as like a, a person rather than a coach that I've kind of then used into my coaching so even like growing up my football coach he was someone who I always like looked up to and I noticed little things how he'd manage the players and how he'd have that one-to-one time and adapt his style for certain players to get the best out of them um and that's exactly the same with what we have to do with different styles of fighters and different personalities. So that would definitely be one. In terms of like 
yes, like it's more than people I can't my work really. Like uh, you know, obviously you've got like boxing science guys. Um, they have like the big one, Phil Deru, do a lot of his mentorship work. Um, and watch a lot of his YouTube channels as well. JF Performance, I watch a lot of his content online as well. Um, so they would be like the ones that I kind of take little bits from. But from like a young age, it's really taking influences from me as a person myself and then using that to coach rather than sort of looking at a strength and being like, oh, I want to be like that guy. I've kind of just taken the two from like more of a personal level and adapted that to my strength. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good way a good way of looking at it because, you know, you're not going to, no one's going to be Phil Deru. No one's going to be, you know, the, the other coaches that are out yeah. there. And I think whether it's working with gem pop clients or athletes or whoever you're working with, you're working with that, with that person. So you've got to be able to build a relationship with them because there's no point then being able to, to coach them if you don't get on and they're like, well, I'm not going to work with this guy. So I think that's a I think that's yeah. a good a good way of looking at it. Yeah. One thing, or the the first question that I kind of wanted to touch on is, obviously you mentioned about athletes and you know and strength and conditioning, and I think people's thoughts can sometimes just go to oh well it's got to be footballers or rugby players or, or anything like that. What's kind of the different principles uh, when it comes to combat athletes, whether it's boxers or MMA fighters or jujitsu? What are kind of the principles that you need to apply to make sure that they're... Because obviously you would think, oh, well, they just need to box. But obviously the strength and power and speed and all those sort of things that need to be ticked off. Yeah. So what are the principles that you try and apply when you're working with uh, combat sport athletes? Yeah, I think what you actually said there in terms of like people think, oh, they just need to box. And of course, they have to do their S&C and they have to get stronger and fitter and allow their fitness and their physical attributes to show their technical side. But the key thing there, one of the principles is that they do need to do their skill sessions as much as possible. Like technique is always the deciding factor at the highest level. You very rarely get someone who's like a world champion and you're like, right, they're just strong. You know, it's very rarely happens there. They're normally very, very good technically. They're very skillful. They've got a great defense. They've got a great jab and, and those more technical sides. So we have to remember these guys are fighters, so they need to spend as much time actually perfecting their craft as possible. So for me, what I try and do is get them to a point where we can try and get all our work done in about two hours a week, two, two to three hours a week not take up too much time from their boxing sessions. Like if we get them in and we're doing like a hard 90 minute session, that's time they could be recovering. It's time that they're going to be more sore for their technical sessions. And then they're not improving as a fighter. They might get really strong and really fit, but if they get an out jabbed, their head movement's not good enough and their ring craft's not good enough they're and all that sort of stuff, then it's kind of pointless. So I'd say principle number one is that we need to create like a, a training schedule that allows them to actually become better fighters. So that's regardless whether they're in MMA, whether they're wrestling, whether they're boxing, they need to get better at the sports first and foremost. And then again, I kind of touched on it a little bit where we need to try and do less rather than do more with fighters. It's why I love working with them is because you never have to try and get them to get do any hard work. It's the complete opposite. You got to try and wind them in a little bit and tell them to do less than stop them from training too much, which is, I guess, why they're a special breed and why they do what they do. So from an S&C standpoint, it's like, right, we need to look at our sessions, our programming and take things out and see, right, have I just put stuff in there for the sake of it or does everything we do have a purpose? Can I kill two birds with one stone? Can I get this 90 minute session done in 45 minutes, which allows them to, 
go and work on something else or recover or get some food in or whatever it might be. So I'd say on the whole, that's probably the two things you really need to do if you're an fighter is set up their training week where we're getting it all done and then try and set it up so that they're actually able to get better at their sport. Yeah, definitely. Because that's a skill in itself. You know, that's the that, that's the end product. You know, and that's similar when it's looking at footballers or rugby players. That's that's the sport that they're doing, and what you do in the gym is there to uh, is is there to com- complement that. In terms of the uh, you know how you work with the the other coaches that they've got, so their their skill coaches. How much sort of is that a, a chat with? With the coaches, is it a case of they buy into, yeah, actually, we don't want them spending loads of time moving weight around and, and doing fitness because you're going to get a fitness element from the skill work that they're doing. How much does that sort of, um, or what role do you play in managing their recovery and, and all the other things outside of the gym? Yeah, do you know what? I've been very fortunate. I've speaking to other sort of um, strength coaches who work with fighters. They have some horror stories about, you know, headbutts and who's who's in charge and who isn't and I feel like I've just managed to miss that whole thing I've been very lucky in that sense uh Grant who I work with in Sheffield and the, and the other coaches I work with various boxers um they've just been so open to S&C I don't know whether it's like uh the old school mentality that era is kind of coming to an end now and you've got more modern day coaches who have grown up with SSC. that probably does explain it a little bit um but as I said I've been really lucky that they're very open to S&C they give me free reign to do what I want um we, we sit down and we talk. Of course, it's not me dictating things. At the end of the day, the, the boxing trainer is the head coach and he's the, if you want something done, it has to be done. But we'll sit down, we'll chat things few. If, if I've got an idea and I say, look, I feel like the guys would benefit from this, they'll try it out. And, you know, at the end of the day, if it's not getting the results, then they're going to tell me. They're going to be like, Reese, you know, if I push him too hard, they're like, Reese, he couldn't spar today. He was too heavy. Like, that can't happen ever again. They're going to let me know. So, yeah I get freedom um we'll sit down we'll plan training weeks we'll make sure that you know we're up to date on what days they're sparring when they need to be fresh when they're going to recover we'll go through all of that what weaknesses they have from a technical standpoint that the coach is seeing we'll sort of discuss very much all the time what the coach needs whether it's game specific like right this one's going to be a hard fight it needs to be 12 rounds strong or this one he needs to be a little bit more on his toes so he's gonna to have to you know develop the calf strength and all that sort of stuff we'll, we'll go into it all but yeah on on the first on, on the whole sorry I've had a lot of flexibility a lot of freedom to do what I need to do and and honestly it means that you just get much better results because everything is working and pulling in one direction rather than me getting them in I'm doing one thing the coach is doing another thing and the athlete's just going to suffer at the end of the day yeah, I think it's, a, especially when it comes to individual uh, sports, it's a, it's a team around there and it's for that one person. It's not just a case of, you know, because if everyone starts fighting amongst each other, the, that person's performance is going to suffer. I know I can always relate to the powerlifting side of things. There's the coach, but then there's the physio and all the other things that, that, that go along with that. On a little bit of a tangent from there, one thing that you mentioned in terms of the coaches buying into strength and conditioning, and um, I was literally speaking about this the, the other day, actually, about the old school mentality of, you know, what people were doing maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. Ah, well, we'll still do this because it's what we've always what we've always done. Do you feel as though, because again, I can see it in the, um, uh, 
in the in the powerlifting world as well. Do you think that uh, you know amongst combat sports and, and other sports that the level of professionalism and what's required to in terms of the strength of conditioning and to actually progress in that sport has, has become a little bit that that old school mentality is is not there anymore. Because I always look at um, uh, I was lucky enough to have uh, Dr. Corey Peacock on the uh, on the mm. podcast, and like he balances, I think he balances that really well. It, do do you, do you think that as well from sort of you know fr- from your experience? Yeah, like, definitely. Like, don't get me wrong, the old school's not all bad either. Um, there's elements of it that the guys still do. You know, those tough boxing sessions where it is like their burpees and press ups and going through. Like, you need the mental reps because it is a very tough mental sport and you need to have the confidence in your ability and be like you know what I've put in the work and I'm fit and I'm strong and so not every day can be all sort of like um nicely balanced and (laughs) and under the sort of required level and all that sort of stuff you need those hard days so there's definitely elements of it and look you know there's there's definitely still some of the old school mentality out there I see a lot on sort of social media now you know you get certain like boxing coaches and stuff who might say yeah but Muhammad Ali only ran and spar so that's all they need to do um so there's definitely an element of that but my argument to that is imagine how good he would have been if he actually done a good snc program like yeah. rather than looking at it as like right that's all he done that's what we should do would be like right on the other side of that but imagine how much better he could have actually been if he had a good solid snc program um so i always try and flip it on him a little bit just because of my bias towards snc i guess but yeah there's definitely a change in the tide where you know you even look at like gb boxing now where it's part of their schedule you look at the ufc uh, performance institute out in like china now where people are it's just what they know it's what they do i think we've always been a little bit behind america in in that sense that a lot of their college athletes and high school athletes have it as part of their routine from a young age so People like Mark, for example, who, who came back from America, he, he sees S&C as like, I have to do that, have to get my sessions in. That's a key part of, of my training schedule. And now in boxing, I think because a younger generation is coming through, it's starting to get like that as well. Even the guys, someone like Sonny, for example, who if he could, he would just literally spar, spar every day. Loves right. it. Like he just enjoys fighting. Even him, he would now say, you know what, S&C is an important part of my program and I, and I do need it and I do feel the benefits but at the same time going back to what I said previously he knows full and well that his majority of, of his time has to be spent getting better at his sport because that's what's going to play victorious at the end of the day so yeah there's a lot of change but not all of the old school's bad I mean definitely try and keep a little bit of it in but just getting a good mix and a good balance really yeah absolutely I quite like that um you know turning it's on the head especially mm-hmm. with like you know because Muhammad Ali you would say you know one of the one of the greatest or if not the greatest it's like yeah well I wonder what I wonder what would what what, what would have happened it's the same with yep. you know I always touch on other sports it's the same as um uh, rug, uh you know rugby and, and football you know the stories of um footballers having cups of tea at half time and then rugby players going straight at, straight out on booze after, after having it and it's mm-hmm. after having a game and it's like you know, I wouldn't, uh, you know, there's always that extra little bit that, that you can get. Um, one thing that you mentioned was uh, depending on the type of fight that it might be, whether they're going to be on the tours a lot more or mm. something like that. Would the principles that you're applying or would your approach trait change depending on um, the type of fight that's coming up, the actual mm. sport that someone's in? So if you're working with a boxer compared to um, someone who's doing MMA mm. and the level of the of their client and the athlete that, that you're working with do, do your approaches change or mm. do you just maybe um uh, meet that athlete where, where they're at 
and still touch on those points or just change it slightly? Yeah, I mean, look, 90% of programmes look the same. Like, if we're being real, the the basics work. So, at the end of the day, we just want to get the guys stronger and fitter. So, you know, if they can master all those basic patterns, a squat, a hinge, you know, a push, a pull, you're going to get results. So, 80-90% of programmes look the same. And then that last kind of 10%, you might change. It's dependent on the sport, you know. MMA, you need to be a bit more well-rounded. You need to be a bit stronger from your back position and, and stuff like that. Boxing, obviously, is going to be a stand up, so you've not got the groundwork. So you probably need less kind of strength endurance in like an isometric than you would in MMA, for example. But principles are the same, so we stick to them. Um, and then we just kind of adapt it based off the back of that. So, for example, you know, the extra 20%, they might say this is going to be a fight on the inside. Or, for example, it might be an amateur boxer compared to a pro where the intensity is going to be higher because the duration is shorter. So you might favor a lactate energy system over having an aerobic base. It's those slight changes, but on the whole, they're going to look the same. You're going to do the same things. And then that last sort of 10, 15%, 20% is where you kind of get a little bit more specific. But I think it's not really, it's just not trying to overcomplicate things. Like if you're squatting, pushing, pulling, you're going to get results. Like a lot of my fighters, they're elite level fighters, but they're not elite level athletes in the weight room. So a lot of the wins we get, are going to be from basic exercises like people actually mind blown sometimes when they look at my sessions and they're like oh, that's actually quite easy like that's not actually that hard it's like no it's not it's it, it's a stimulate not annihilate session you know we're getting the best most we can do from the least input without affecting their other training sessions so it's not a hard session probably the average person would get there and do it and be like you know what that was actually all right and it's full of just basic movement patterns um, and then as they start to get a bit more advanced or there's certain things we need to work on, depending on the sport, then we'll start to change it a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that. And I like I like asking that question in terms of does it change on the athletes that you're working with? Because there is that thing of and I, I, I've, I've had it before thinking, I wonder what they do, like the boxers. I wonder what their I wonder what their training is going to be, whereas actually. You know, uh, it's a uh, um, you know you're not annihilating them in the in, in the session. I thought that was that, that was a good quote there because you know right from the beginning, you know their skill is boxing or wrestling or whatever yeah. or whatever, whatever yeah. they're doing. You know you don't need to be because again, I'm, well you'll probably find I quite like going off on tangents a little bit, but it's a little <laughs> bit like um, doing the um, Olympic lifts in terms of developing power. You're not making them weightlifters. They're not going to go to the Olympics and be a weightlifter. Mm. It serves a purpose. But then again, you can use kettlebells. You could use anything to mm. to, to, to to develop that. From from when you from your, when you very first started, then do you think that you've got more comfortable in your programming as you've developed? And what and what are your thoughts on sort of because you you see it all the time these um, crazy functional specific exercises that if you're a boxer you need you need to do this. What, what's been your process with them and your thoughts when you see them now compared to maybe when you saw them when you were first working with boxers and, and fighters? Yeah. Do you know, yeah, do you know I, I was that guy. I hold my hands up and say, you know, back, back at the start, it's like, right, let's make this look good. Let's make it exciting. Let's do the things that looks really good. But honestly, now it's just, it's as I said before, it's just basic. It's nailing the basics. I've taken out so much junk from my programs. Sessions are probably now on average 45, 50 minutes, including warm-up and sometimes including their conditioning as well at the end. It's a lot more focused around injury prevention slash rehab type stuff. Like a big chunk is on keeping them healthy, shoulder work. Um, you know, it's a lot. That's kind of 
focus number one. If we get through a camp and they've not got injured and they've managed to complete all their boxing sessions to the best of their ability, then that's like a successful camp in terms for me. Regardless of getting stronger, regardless of getting fitter, if they're able to train all their sessions without getting injured, that's a massive win for camp. And then obviously on top of that, then we start to look at their strength and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'd say from, from the start, the sessions are a lot shorter, a lot more concise, a lot simpler than they were previously. Um, and I think that just comes with confidence. It comes with confidence in your programming and your results and actually just realising that the basic stuff does work. You don't need to over, over complicate things, you know. And there's times as well, though, on the other hand, where we do add stuff in. There might be a certain thing that I know actually doesn't have any physical um, benefits at all, but in the fighter's mind, doing that makes them feel better and they're getting a confidence from it. So I know, for example, like there's a one of one of my fighters, for example, he loves doing cleans. He did uh, Mark did it out in America, loves him, and he associates doing cleans with being powerful. Right. So if I take it out, he gets like a mental stumbling block when he's like, I've lost my power. So we have to give him a little bit of what he needs and a little bit of what he wants as well. So we might, for example, do some really, really light um, cleans as part of a warm up or something. And in his head, he's like, right, I've got the power back. It's really good. <laughs> but really, I'm not really looking at it at all. It's, it's too light to even get any sort of adaptation from a power standpoint anyway. Um, but it's just ticking a box and he gets that. That sort of placebo effect he gets from that is priceless. So I'd say there's a little bit of that drizzled in as well um, and, and giving them a little bit of what they want as well, just to kind of keep them happy and keep them, as, as we mentioned before, getting the buy-in as well. Yeah, definitely. It goes back to what we what again, what we were talking about at the start, building that relationship with that person rather than just going, nah, you're wrong. You, you, you don't need to do that because then straight away, especially probably more so in the in, in sort of like the combat world, confidence in terms of their camp and their prep. You want them feeling confident. You want them feeling strong, f- feeling good. And that actually was, you know, as you, as you were saying that, have you had any, because I've had clients, I'm a big fan of, if clients are coming in and they've read something or have done something, I would much rather than ask me a question mm. and be like, what do you think to this? Or can we add this into our program and make it a conversation rather than them going off and doing it by themselves, hurting themselves and then being like, yeah, sorry, coach. I actually did this, and uh, I've, I've hurt myself. As as the beat, have you have have you had that, especially in the position that you that that you're in now, where mm. people have either been to another gym or you know gone for, and, and and seen something that other people are doing? Is there anything that you've got to be like, yeah, no, we're not we're not doing that, and then explaining explaining why? Yeah, I mean, I always encourage my guys to be involved in the process. Anyway, look, there's some of the athletes who. They just want to be told what to do. They don't really fuss about the why. They just come in and get it done. Yeah. And there's the opposite side where people ask, oh, why are we doing that? How comes we're not doing this? What's the benefits in this? And I encourage them to. And I'll always try and explain why we're doing certain things. And, and from even from a coaching standpoint, it just gets me questioning my own progress, which I think is a good thing. Like, I'm not always right. And sometimes, and I think athletes on the whole really don't get enough credit. I think sometimes we sort of, maybe on the play how much they can actually teach us and tell them about fighting they know all pretty much um so sometimes actually it's vice versa where they can say you know what that actually doesn't transfer to my boxing at all because of x y and z i'm like oh right okay yeah because i thought did it and we talk about it and then actually that then leads me to change it up an exercise and doing something um, slightly different because I'm like, you know what, they've actually got a point there. It doesn't transfer as much as I actually thought it did. 
Um, I mean, if there's anything that's going to put them at risk from an injury standpoint, then obviously we won't do it. But if it's something they're like, really, really want to do that and they've got their reasons for it, then we'll try and drizzle it in. As I said, it's it's kind of just the whole process of giving them a little bit of what they, they want so they, they feel like they're in control as well. And, you know, if you do give them spells where they get that freedom, they're probably more likely to buy into the process and do stuff that they don't process, isn't it? It's it's getting away from, all right, because I've got it written down, that's exactly what we have to do right now and, and adapting on the spot. And that's kind of the, the best thing about coaching, you know, as we said earlier, like in terms of stimulating, not annihilating, it's why you're good at what you do, why I think I'm good at what I do is because anyone can make a hard session. We can throw loads of rubbish together and make it a hard where they're like, what, what a workout, I crawled out the gym. But is it really effective? Is it really needed? Is it really benefiting them? No, probably not. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good mentality to have a look at because I know, especially when I first started coaching, it's like, wow, well, we've got to do this. I want to put this exercise in. This this will be awesome. Whereas now, like, yeah, I'm not really precious about the exercises. You touched on it there. You know, if we're um, pushing, pulling, if we're hinging, you know, the exercises, mm. there's, that's why there's loads of exercises out there. They're just tools. Whereas we've said all the time, you know, yeah. you've got to tick that, tick that box and be like, right, actually, you know, if you enjoy doing this, happy for you to do it. However, from obviously the coach's point of view, we want to tick our boxes from the athlete's mm-hmm. point of view. And again, which I'm, I'm a big believer in is they've got to enjoy it because if they're doing loads of skill sessions, they've got fights coming up and if they're not enjoying it, that's going to hinder the training and their effort and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, one thing that you did mention was, uh, uh, again, touching on between fights and in camp and that sort of stuff. So usually the trainer thought would be, right, you've got a, you've got a season like rugby or football uh, and then you've got an off season. So you can divvy up your year into, right, this is where we're going to push. This is where we're going to work on strength and speed and that sort of stuff. How does that work with um, with, with fighters then? How, how does that work? You know, is there such thing as an off-season or is it a case of we do a camp and then, right, that's it, and then we just wait for the next fight? How, how, how does that work? Yeah, I guess it goes back to what we said about the old-school mentality and now, like, more of a, a, a new train of thought because I think back in the day what would happen is exactly that, 12-week camp, you come in, you go all out, you fight, and then you take two months off, balloon up in weight, and then you go again. You have that kind of repeated process. I guess athletes are a lot more as fighters as well, a lot more professional now. It's more of a year-round sport. Um, and at the, like, the end of the day, if you're, if you're going up against someone who's of similar ability to you and you've got one fighter who's done it all year round, one fighter is coming for a 12-week camp, the one who's done it all year round is probably going to win. Um, so yeah, it's, it's less of the camps now and more of just working all year round. And of course though, like you're not always going hell forever, you know, following a fight, you might have a couple of weeks off and then you might come into back into the gym and just work really lightly, working on technique again, getting better at your sport, working on things that might have been right in the, um, in the last fight. Um, and then on the S and C side there, we can ease into it. We can really look to build a solid base. So we're looking at like strength, endurance, aerobic capacity type stuff, um, build it up, up where they're not sparring. They've not got as many hard sessions so we can push a bit harder on the strength because it doesn't matter if they're a little bit more sore in the morning and things like that. And we can look to really develop a good base of mobility, good movement patterns, slowing down exercises. So they're getting a bit of like into uh, muscular coordination as well, which is going to serve them well. We go to a strength block because now their body knows how to move effectively and efficiently. Um, so we basically look out of camp 
to maybe have a couple of weeks off and then get straight back to it. Monitor intensities, build up slowly, make sure that they are having a lighter sort of block just to kind of recover, but still improve. And that's the key thing. You can always improve. You don't have to be working 100% effort to get better at something. You know, you can work on other little bits and bobs, as I said, endurance, mobility and all that sort of stuff. And then as we go into sort of quote unquote off camp, um, they can ramp up a little bit. They're in a good position where their fitness is up. So when they go into their spas, they're not wasting spas trying to get fit. They can just go straight into it. And again, the more spas they have at a good level, the better they're going to become as fighters. So it's all about almost out of camp, working on the base of a pyramid. And as you go through the camp, we're getting a little bit more specific. We're working on more the strength and the power than the speed and then looking to peak just before fight night. Yeah, and with and with that as well, because I know we touched on the the strength and conditioning side of things. You know that makes sense. You know when we get going into a fight, same as a powerlifting competition, you want to be more specific as you're leading yeah. towards that, rather than still doing all the, all the general stuff that you're doing. One thing that you touched on is the uh, you know ballooning weight and, and and making weight, which you know is one of those things where you know you do hear you know a lot of uh, a lot of fighters dropping weight really quickly and you know uh, ballooning up after uh, after fights. How much involvement do you have in the on the nutrition side of things, and what's kind of your um, protocols with that when you're working uh, working with fighters? You know what, I've, uh, not out of choice, but I've been thrown into almost like a dual nutrition strength coach <laughs> role lately. With, with about eighty five percent of the fighters, um, it was one of those where at first I was just like, no, that I don't really know. What, what to do, like I'd rather not get involved. But as time on, I kind of one got born in and then also saw that if I wasn't helping the fighters, they were going and doing their own thing and it was a lot more dangerous and a lot more incorrect yeah. than what it should have been. So I've kind of learned on the job uh, with that sort of stuff, trial different methods. And now I'm actually not too bad at it. I don't, I'm feeling quite good at the weight cutting <laughs> process as well on fight week. Um, so I might, I might actually start calling myself a, a strength coach nutritionist soon. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, so like out of camp again, it's like, right, let's not balloon up. Let's stay within, you know, 10, 15% of your fight weight if you can. Obviously, if you're an amateur boxer, you've got to walk around about a couple of kilos overweight. You can't let it balloon. And then it's like, right, through camp, let's start bringing it down. Just giving them general guidance on what to, what, when to eat, what to eat, um, all that sort of stuff. And then the main thing where they need me, like, again, we need to give the fighters credit. They know how to bring their weight down. They've done it so many times on their own. So they know what foods they need to be eating. They know that carbs are their petrol and, and all that sort of stuff. So... They know about deficit as well, naturally, because they'll eat less to lose weight. So they might not know the science behind it, but they know, right, if I do this, this is what happens. So we'll give them a bit more sort of like responsibility there. But the main thing is kind of that, that last couple of weeks and into fight week where we're looking to, to cut weight, just making sure they're doing that safely, um, manipulating more acute uh, things like fiber, salt. Uh, water, carbohydrates if we need to, making sure that they're they're making weight uh, safely and they're not leaving their performance in the weight cut either because that's the other major thing. There's there's making weight and then there's hitting the number on the scale and being able to perform on fight night, you know. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time it's kind of celebrated. Like, oh, I made weight, da 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 da, and it's like, yeah, but that's not you're you're there to fight tomorrow night. You're not there to get on a scale and, and make weight. So. Yeah, so we do that sort of stuff uh, on fight week. Um, 
and as I say, it's just about making it safe first and foremost. Like these guys are fighting, so we don't want them to dehydrate themselves and not rehydrate properly, and then getting punched in the head. It's just a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, I'm quite involved on the nutrition side now, and, and as I said, I've, I've got not got too bad at it. Yeah, I think it, I think it is that thing of, and, and that's why I wanted to touch on it a little bit because, like you said, you kind of stumbled into it or, or got pushed into it with the people that you people that you're working with, and sometimes. You know, there's, I know there's like, you know, actual nutritionists and that sort of stuff. But I think sometimes is, again, going back to what we said at the start in terms of the relationship with the fighter, sometimes you can just, just nudge them in the right direction because nine times out of 10, they're going to have a good understanding of what they should be eating and what they mm-hmm. should be doing. But I think sometimes, um, and I don't know, I don't know whether you'll agree or not, is that there's sometimes they'll just lose focus. They have their eye on the, on, on the fight. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have this. I'm, I'm going to have that. that. That'll be okay. Rather than just being like, look, we can still have that. I know after my most recent powerlifting competition, I was like pizza, donuts, all sorts. It was it was awesome. But then afterwards, it's like, yeah, actually, do you know what? I don't want to be in a position where I have to drop loads and loads of weight. And then, you know, like what you like what you said, you know, a, re- a recipe for disaster. Um, the next thing I kind of wanted to go on, which kind of comes... Uh, full circle from when you spoke about when you very first started coaching in terms of working with gen pop clients and then you know gravitating more towards the uh, the combat the combat sports what's your thoughts on you know uh, gen pop clients training like athletes because there is that phrase isn't there of every athlete is a human and every human is a, is an athlete do you agree with that do you think that's beneficial for gen pop or do you think actually do you know what um, yeah, there's certain things that they don't need to do. They don't need to do as much. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's funny, actually, the studio, the strength box that we work at, that is our, that's our main thing, that no matter who you are, what you do, what your goals are, everyone should be able to train like an athlete. Me and dad, actually, so we do sort of like group general population groups here, sessions, and it's all using the same principles that we use with our athletes. They're throwing stuff, they're jumping, they're sprinting, they're doing all these athletic movements. Because we actually sat down and have a conversation. We're like, isn't it funny, like at 18, 20 years old, you finish playing sports and you don't do any of that stuff for the rest of your life. And you've probably still got like 80% of your life to go. You just, you stop running anyway, but have a lot of health benefits as well. Um, and then it's like that classic thing. I mean, I've done the same. I don't know about you, but I finished playing football and then it was straight in the gym and doing bodybuilder program three sets of 12 eight to nine exercises a few to failure and and really I didn't want to be look like a bodybuilder I wanted to be lean I wanted to be athletic looking but I wasn't training in the same way um and we kind of thought you know we can't be the only two in the world that this is applied to and as we started speaking to more people they would say yeah I was great shape when I was playing sports back in my 18s back in my 20s um and then I stopped and you know I wish I could get back into that shape and we sort of thought you know how can people peak physically at 20? That shouldn't be a thing. It should be in your 30s, in your 40s, even in your 50s. Like longevity is number one. Even as an athlete, as a non-athlete, we should all be aiming to be moving well, be healthy into our 80s. We shouldn't be struggling to, to squat down to pick something up. We shouldn't be able to not roll around the floor of our grandkids or our kids when we're, when we're older. Um, you know, and the amount of older people as well you see who might have a triple or a four and then that's it. It's like... It, it's a serious damage 
we should be having like bone density through training that we can be robustness through that. So we definitely agree here. And that's kind of the one thing we're trying to push through our studios, getting general population people in training them using exactly the same principles, adapting them to their current ability and, and all that sort of stuff, but using the same principles and actually then getting them to the goals and the aesthetics they want by using those principles. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. And it, it is that thing, you know, of, you know, you stop doing, if you stop doing PA at school and then don't, don't do it again, it's like, what do you do? It, as you were saying that, I was kind of nodding because I stopped playing as much rugby um, for, you know, I couldn't get to training and, and all that sort of stuff. Got more involved in, in powerlifting and powerlifting is one of those movements where you have, you just go up and down, whether you're lying down on your back or deadlifting, it's just up and down. And it got to a point, I had to laugh when you said, you know, not not being able to bend down and tie your shoelaces. It got to a point where when I played rugby, loads of different movements, loads of different fitness. I was lucky enough, touch wood, I didn't actually have that that many injuries, maybe maybe one. Yeah. Get involved in powerlifting, my back sore, rotating round. And it's kind of like, you know, you still need to do all those different movements that, that, that you can. One of the best things, exercises that I like to do in a, in, in a warm-up, whether we're doing uh, group sessions or, or classes, Stand up, not using your hands. And it's kind of like, I'm not saying you have to, you know, do a, a backflip up, backflip upwards, but just stand up, not using your hands. And people always laugh being like, oh, why, why do you put in this isn't an exercise? And it's one of those things yeah. of what happens if you do fall over? And, you know, I know obviously when someone's in their 20s or 30s, they're not going to be thinking about it. But it's like if we, mm. you know, there's that, there's that analogy in there that the, the more you um, uh, save, the more you put in the bank, Obviously, when you're older, you're going to have more. And that's the exact same with movement. Like, you know, you're not going to be, if it's from a, a combat side of, side of things, if you just get really strong, but can't rotate, can't move, you're not going to be able to be as good as your skill. And then, you know, older, for the powerlifting side of things, you know, if you're struggling to bend down and pick your, tie your shoelaces, you know, there's loads of stuff that, you, that you're missing out on. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, and it, especially, especially now, like we're in an era where people are like, investing in their future and you know they, we've got crypto going off we've got pensions all that sort of stuff but the biggest investment in your future is your body and your health and if you get to 78 years old and you, you're not able to go out for walks you're not able to move properly then everything else is kind of irrelevant because like, i guarantee when you get to that age if you can't move well and you can't look after yourself you're gonna wish that that was one thing you did do and everything else will kind of seem irrelevant. So even though it's to do, as I said, longevity is number one, even as like an athlete, like these guys, especially fighters, like I want all my fighters to get to their 70s, 80s and still be healthy, still be strong. And that's my biggest motivation to put a good program together. It's The sport success is obviously key because these guys have got goals they want to hit. But for me, it's like on a personal level, I'm invested in them and I don't want them to be world champions and at the expense of their health as they get older. I want them to, you know, see their grandkids and be able to tell them stories and play with them and their great grandkids. So it's definitely something we should be more aware of, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you said there a couple of times, you know, longevity and you look at some of the um, best or greatest sports people out there, they've performed week in, week out. Do, do you know what I mean? It hasn't been sort of, the worst thing is, and as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about some of the some of the lads that I grew up playing rugby with, you know, at, at 16, 17, 18 superstars, but then have been burnt out because you know they've 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 not been looked after as much as much as what as what they should have been now. And now they've got you know now they're in their twenties and thirties, 
you know, niggles and, 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 and injuries, which isn't which isn't good. Whereas, you know, exactly like what you said, you want to look back on a, a successful and, and long career rather than being like, oh, yeah, do you remember them two years where I was in the, in the, in the best shape ever rather than being like, do you know what, actually, you know, I, I was pretty, I, I was pretty, I was pretty spot on with that. Um, quite a lot of topics, quite a lot of uh, tangents thrown in there as well. But the last question that I like to ask mm. is from everything that we've chatted about there, what would be your take-home points or words of wisdom for everyone listening? Yeah, do you know, I guess it's more obviously combat sports related. Um, it's just for me, it's just a hard workout doesn't equal a effective workout. That and, and that can apply to everyone, to be honest. Like, don't feel like you have to go to the gym and go 100 miles an hour. You need to have a structured training program where you're progressively owning and all those kind of principles. But hard does not equal effective. So I think we need to sort of like stop glamorizing these things where people are like, I couldn't walk for four days and a great PT session, like it wrote me off for a week. Of everything, sort of topic of the day, and even more so when you work with fighters, is that hard does not equal effective. And we're looking to stimulate them to get improvements rather than annihilate them so they can't train um, after that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a that's a good um, a, a good way to finish on because you know we touched on it earlier before that yes, you do sometimes need um, hard workouts. Sometimes I'm a big believer in you know uh, especially you you touched on it there that that mental mind that that mental mindset that that mindset side of things of you know you you know when things do get challenging you do need to go to that place of you know whatever sport it is or whatever you know I know everyone's got their own goals and and, and challenges. But if you're, yeah, taking four days to recover from something, you're always going to have that. I think this whole mentality of, you know, that, that uh, again, that old school of, right, we were just going to beast you for an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's kind of, don't get me wrong, there's some workouts where it's like, wow, that mm-hmm. was, that was, that yeah. was pretty tough. But that's, that's, that's few and far, few and far between. It'd be like having, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, a boxing fight every single, every single weekend. Like at some point you would need to have, you need to have a little bit of a, a breather, a breather from it. Um, thanks a lot, Reese, for taking the time, the time to jump on. Yeah. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Um, for everyone listening who might have any um, questions about what we've chatted mm-hmm. about there, uh, want to come down and see the strength box or get involved in some coaching with you, where can yeah. people find you or reach out to you? So Instagram's the best bet, Elite Step on Instagram. Uh, our gym page as well, the Strength Box Leads. Just follow them, drop us a message. We've got different programs at the gym, athletes, non-athletes. Um, follow Dan as well, Avante Performance and Fitness. You'll find him through my socials as well, but he does a lot of gem pop. So if you are like not an athlete, but you still want to use those principles that we mentioned, then drop him a, a message and he'll be more than happy to help you. Awesome. For everyone listening, 100% go and have a look what uh, Reese and Dan are doing at the Strength Box. Some really, really good stuff. Um, thanks a lot. Appreciate thanks it. again for taking the time. To on. Thanks a lot to everyone listening, and I will see you all next week.